have the privilege of kicking off this series, Finding Peace in the Midst of Chaos, and, and we do that today with <clears throat> beginning with this thing of uncertainties. I wonder what you'd say if I asked you, what, what are you certain is going to happen in the next 24 hours? What would be your answer to that? Some of you would probably say, well, not sure, but maybe, maybe we'll have a short sermon. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Some of you might think, well, I mean, there's a lot of different things. I mean, you, you, well, I know we're going to have brunch afterwards, me and my honey, um, or whatever, my friend. Um, or some of you, I mean, you know, speaking of food, I, when I was a kid, I, I, was, uh, I, we, I was certain every Saturday noon we would have bean soup, white bean soup. And, uh, and I loved it. And um, every Saturday at noon. And I would, I would learn decades later that that the reason we had bean soup on Saturday afternoon was because that's all they, my, my mom and dad could afford. But my mom always made it a treat. To this day, I love white bean soup. If you text me and say, I got white bean soup, I'm, I'll be there, okay? Um, that's one of those things, that just, just a certainty in my life growing up. Um, I was really certain about something about two weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, I was certain. I almost... For those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a big Bronco fan, and, and I was at the game, unfortunately. And I was so certain, no kidding, I didn't do this, but I, I honestly thought, I even went to a website where you can bet, you know, bet money, and so I was going to, I know, I know the Broncos are going to win. I was going to bet, you know, $100. I didn't, but I, and I don't recommend you doing that, but um, I was certain. Um, and, you know, it, 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 we, we talk about certainties, and there's some fun stuff that we can talk about. But, but also, when we really get into the, to the grind of life, there's some other things um, that aren't necessarily all that funny or, or, or amusing when we start thinking about some of the real uncertainties of life that can happen and that do happen all the time. I'm going to take you to a blog this morning and read two different times from it. Um, it's, I, I don't know the lady. Uh, I have a good friend. She's a, she's a friend of a good friend of mine. And uh, it's a public blog, but just in case I had my friend email her just to make sure it was okay to, you know, I just want to be careful with that stuff. This gets on the internet and stuff, but if you use something without somebody's permission. So I made sure we do have permission to use it. Um, and, uh, and this is a pretty serious one here. It's a, it's a mom, young mom, and, and she has a four-year-old, a four-year-old boy named Chase with a very rare form of cancer. And... Um, her blog, she's, she's an amazing writer, first of all, but her blog is just, it just, it just, this is not a happy thing, okay? Just, let me just adjust your expectations here, but it's, it's very meaningful and it's very important that we understand some of these things. Um, so I'm just going to start reading from it right now and uh, just kind of get you thinking about what's going on here. She begins, tomorrow, February the 6th, is Chase's first truly post-treatment MRI, the first real Chemo is all out of your system. Three months without a single drug to guard against relapse. Have your sleep patterns changed? Why did you forget that word? You fell twice yesterday. MRI. Tomorrow there'll be two doors. Behind door, <clears throat> excuse me. Behind door number one is the clear scan and the sigh of relief, and the three month wait until next time. Behind door number two is relapse, and all the possibilities that it brings. Writing that thought down leaves me sick to my stomach. But the truth is, we've known about door number two since the early days of August 2012. So even if it comes to that horror, there will likely be few surprises. People say in mistaken comfort, yes, 
But what are the chances for a parent of a child that only ever had a hair's breadth percentage of getting cancer and this cancer and surviving this cancer, the chances hold no comfort at all. I'm going to come back to that and let's stop right there. As we stop and we think and, 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 and try to just let some of this sink in and absorb, I want to take you to a Bible passage. This whole series, uh, Peace in the Midst of Chaos, is, is, is based, we're, it's all through the life of Joseph. We're going to take you all through the life of Joseph. I'm beginning that today. And Joseph, you don't know much about Joe. He had a heck of a life, let me tell you. And he had, and you talk about life of uncertainties. My gosh, he had it all. And we're going to see that just beginning today, this one chapter, chapter 37 of, um, of Genesis. Let me just jump right into that and just get you to follow along with me. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. That's modern-day Israel, at least in part. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of, uh, of Zilpah, his father's wives. He brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, yeah, first of all, Jacob has more than one wife. I understand that. He's got three or four wives, actually. Um, never was it God's design. Uh, it was the culture, and, and obviously sometimes culture goes against um, God's design. But he has. But the other part, the, the awkward part to me, I'd like to have a wife named Bilhah and another wife named Zilpah. <laughs> And you'd say, hey, Bill Pot. No, I mean, hey, Bill Pot. No, Zill Pot. No, no, Bill. I'll be with, with Bill and Zill, I guess. But anyway, it's awkward. Anyway, he brings a bad, you know, I, that's why God said you don't need one wife. That's okay. I, anyway, <laughs> um, he brings a bad report back to his father. We don't know what that bad report was. was he, I mean, the first thing I think was he tattling. Hey, Dad, the, the brothers aren't, they're not, they're not, they're, they're abusing the sheep. They're not taking good care of them, or, or dad, they're, you know, they're fighting, or whatever. I don't know what bad report it was. It was a bad report. That's, that's all we're knowing. That's all we know from the text on this. So, verse 3, Israel, that's, a, that's another name for Jacob. He's called, the, he's called, he's the father of Israel, Jacob is. So, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, they use the name Jacob and Israel interchangeably. So, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. That's a problem. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Favoritism. Never a good thing, with children especially. Joseph had a dream. This is amazing, right? Watch this. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph, what the heck are you thinking? I mean, come on. I, I mean, you, you, you know, filter. Um, <laughs> so anyway, his brother says to him, I mean, obviously, this is what happened. His brother said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he has another dream. And he told this to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept that matter in mind. He does it again. You say, what's his point here? Is he, is he to be in a show off? Is he just saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Or is he just incredibly naive and just, you know, oh, I had a dream, guys. I, I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, it, it, my tendency is to think probably wasn't a good thing to share, but he did. And it doesn't help. Because now, now look what happens next. Verse 12, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, that's Jacob, says to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring back word to me. And then he sent them off from the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and he asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. By the way, if you're from the south, this is not Dothan, Alabama, okay? Just so you know. There is a place called Dothan, Alabama. You don't want to go there, trust me. Um, So anyway, Joseph went after his brothers, found them near Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Watch, Watch what they say here. Here comes a dreamer. They said to each other, come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. These guys are pretty, I mean, even mine, it's a primitive culture. But their answer is not, you know, get him aside and just beat the heck out of him. No, just kill him. It's going to get tough here. Reuben heard this, verse 21. Interesting, Reuben's the oldest brother. And, 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 and it's kind of, kind of ironic because in, in actuality, if Joseph does die, his most, Jacob's most favorite son, Reuben probably would be the next sort of in line, so to speak, because he's the oldest brother. He has more to lose by Joseph living than anybody else. But because he's the older brother, he kind of takes on that fatherly type of, of role. And he says, look, he tried to rescue him from their hands. He says, let's not take his life, he said in verse 22. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and then take him, eventually take him back to his father. Well, I don't know what happens to Reuben, but he, he somehow is AWOL. In verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. They took him, threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it, just a deep, dry well is what this is. And then what do they do? They sit down to eat. These guys are cold-hearted. I mean, they're cold-hearted. They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them back down to Egypt. Judah says to his brother, this is amazing. Judah says, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. Are you kidding me? Let's don't kill our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. What the heck? I mean, some might argue that'd be worse than death. Well, the brothers agreed. Verse 28, so the Midianites merchants came by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. That was about $5 in today's money, which was a lot of money back then. When Reuben returned, that's the older brother again, returned to the sister, and he saw that Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat. They dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father, and they said, we found this. Examine it. See whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Watch what happens next. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn 
until I joined my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. He didn't just mourn for a period of time and then move on like most of us would when, at the loss, even, even the loss of something as, uh, of a child, which is just, I think, the, the hard, hardest thing we can suffer. And then and, and eventually you ha- he, he says, I'm, I, he, he just basically sinks into clinical, de- what we would call today clinical depression. He said, I will never smile again. My favorite youngest child is dead. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Let's talk about the illusion of certainty. Now, just take from our story we just went through in this Bible, this Bible narrative. The first, the first certainty is Joseph. I mean, Joseph, Joseph is, he's, you know, he's got the tiger by the tail. I mean, he is, he is the cat's meow. He's got it going on, baby. He's the trust fund, baby. He's got the, he's got the Maserati in the driveway. He's got, he's got everything. He's got it all. He's dad's favorite, and he knows it. And the one thing that Joseph had probably thought, hey, I got to go, life is going to be sweet for me, babe. It's going to be great. I'm dad's favorite. Dad's wealthy. Dave, uh, Josh, uh, Joseph, Joseph got used, used to God's favor and his father's favor. Well, that certainty got knocked, didn't it? All of a sudden, he now, he, you know, it's a, as they say, you know, it's a small walk from the penthouse to the outhouse. I don't know if you ever heard that or not, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a true statement. <laughs> it's a short walk from the penthouse to the outhouse. Some of you don't want an outhouse. See me afterwards. I'll explain it to you. Um, all of a sudden, he's the certainty of David having it. Excuse me, of Joseph having it all knocked. Boom! Right out the right, right out the door. Boom. Then there's the certainty of the brothers. All of a sudden, they think, okay, we got rid of that little pest. Now, now life is better. Life is good. They're, they're, and they're pretty certain they got him out of their life. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. That's that's for the rest of the series. But let me just assure you, he's not out of their lives. But they think so at this point. At this point in the story, he's sold into slavery. We're done. We're good. And then there's, then there's Jacob. Jacob's all, he's like, oh, man, my favorite child is dead. I hate life. I'm going to be depressed the rest of my life. Little did he know, Joseph was still alive. And little did he know that he may end up seeing him. I'm going to tell you. He may end up seeing him again. There's only one guy here that's got certainty, understands the, the illusion of certainty, and that's Joseph. I mean, you can just picture in your mind, can't you? Here he is, probably has his hands tied, and he's, he's walking. The caravan's walking. I'm sure they're not going to waste a camel on him. And he's hands tied, walking this caravan of Ishmaelites, headed to Egypt. The one place a, a, a child of Israel doesn't want to go. He understands, wow, life is full of uncertainties. Pascal, I think, put it best. I love this. He says, we sail within a vast sphere, ever drifting in uncertainty, driven from end to end. Listen, certainly, certainty is a false God, and it's an illusion. And usually we don't recognize that until something uncertain really helps us, which begs the question, a couple of questions that we should ask about that. What certainties are you relying on would be the first one. So, you know, I'm my spouse. I'm, I'm good with them. They're, they're, they're always going to be there for me. My, my family, my family's always been there for me. They always will be. My kids, they're always there. I always got my kids. My education, I got, I, got a great, I got a great undergrad degree. I got a great grad degree. Great schools. I'm in good shape. 
something happens at work, I've got, I've, I've, I've got my education to fall back on. My position, I got a great job. I'm secure. On my 401k, that, that, I, I, I look at it every week. It just keeps, just keeps growing. I'm good. I'm good. It's one question. What are the certainties that you are relying on? And only you can answer that. The other question is what, what, what uncertainty is awaiting around that next corner for you? You don't know the answer to that. None of us do. But we know that there will be something waiting around that corner. Here's the thing. We have to be, we, we have this great need to be equipped to be able to handle the uncertainties of life. And, and if we're not equipped, we're going to live a miserable life. We're going to have one heartache after another after another. So I want to just do, give you some thoughts here to think through and, and, and to help equip each of us for this whole thing. And, and we'll go back to this blog in a moment and, and, and go with that. But there's three things I want you to think about, just, just, just thoughts. Number one, so many of the things that we think are certain are really simply illusions. You know, living in a time, living in times of uncertainty is a reality, but so often we fail to really grasp that, and it takes something happen, happens to us, and all of a sudden it happens to a loved one, and say, oh, I didn't see that one coming. No, we don't. And I always say, you know, we don't know tomorrow. We just think we do. We don't know what's, what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, so many of the things that we think are certain are really illusions, just simply illusions. Think about those things I just mentioned, spouse. Well, sometimes they die. Sometimes they change. And things go awry. And the person that you thought would be there for you all along is not. For any kind of number of reasons. Then you got, you got family. So I got a great family. Nothing will ever happen to my family. Well, unfortunately, sometimes it does. Then what do you do with that? They say, well, I got my kids. Oh, I got my kids. Let me tell you something about kids. They grow up. And then they leave you. Then they won't won't return your dang phone call. I mean, it's like, come on, can you at least call me back sometime, son? You know? So I figured out a little text that I can send him to get him to call me. Oh, he's catching on to my game now. You know, I'll say, oh, your mom's really sick. You better call me, you know. What's wrong with mom? Oh, she's not really sick. I was just messing with you. Okay. (laughs) Um. But no, no, seriously, I mean, kids, they grow up, they have their own lives, and, 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 and that's great, and hopefully that's going to continue to be a support system to you, but sometimes it's not. Education, you know, I got, I got, I got that great degree, man, and I got a great graduate degree. I've always, I'm always going to have that. Let me, just, let me just remind you of something probably not very pleasant. Let's see, have you known anybody in 08 or since that has a great degree or two that's still trying to find the right position? How many times have I heard, it's just not like it used to be, Rich. It's just not like it used to be. I understand. It's not. And, of course, there's the 401k stuff. And I think uh, I don't need to remind you how, gosh, well, I, I, I have so many memories of 08 being with people. Um, I remember one guy I was with one time, his stockbroker called him. And he, he, we were in the car, and he had it on speakerphone because he, he didn't care if I heard it. And it was, this guy was trying to get him to sell some of the stock that had just dropped to 50% of what he paid for it. And uh, I can't really give you the answer that my friend gave to his stockbroker when he tried to get him to sell it, but the answer was something like, no, (laughs) with a few few adjectives. Um, Obviously, 
So many of the things that we think are certainties are illusions. We have to be equipped to be able to recognize that. Second thing, God speaks to us the loudest in those times of uncertainty. Remember Job? You know the story of Job? If you don't know the story of Job, he lost everything. Lost everything. He lost his family. Lost, he was a wealthy guy. Lost all of his money. Lost his health. He lost everything but his wife. That's the one thing he probably should have lost. And, and I, I'm not, that sounds terrible, I know, but I mean, his wife was not a help. I mean, she was saying, curse God and die. I'm like, oh, great, great support. I need a wife like that. Jeez. Um, anyway, Job asked God over and over again, why, 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 why? I've done the same thing many times. Why, God, why? God's answer, I shall never forget. I, I, this verse is it just imprinted on my brain. It's from Job 38.4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Bottom line is, he's God, and I'm not. Neither are you. But God speaks to us loudest when we recognize the uncertainty we are in. C.S. Lewis put it like this, book The Problem of Pain. But he said this, <clears throat> we, can, we, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's true. God does speak to us most loudly in those times of uncertainty. What we have to recognize is that's all the time. Whether, whether we recognize it at that moment or not, that's all the time. That's when we need to listen to God's voice. The third little thing that I, and this is kind of, this is kind of cheesy, trite saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, eternal is more important than the earthly. You say, oh, I know that, Rich, but but why are you saying that? Our only certainty is in the eternal one, the Lord God. I mean, even James says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The eternal is more important than the earthly. How does that work out? How does that work out, Rich? Let me give you from my life, I have on here, I would show you, but I don't want to mess with my notes here, but I, I, I have a number of books. Isn't that cool? I mean, who would have thought I could have said that 20 years ago or even 10 years ago? I have a, I have a number of books right here at my fingertips, a number of Bibles, a um, uh, number of newspapers. And so, you know, you're reading, you're reading maybe a New York Post. <laughs> I say sheepishly. Uh, do you ever read the New York Post? No, heck no, I would never read that. Huh? No, don't look at my iPad, you'll see it. But um, you read the New York Post, nothing wrong with New York, but the New York Times, Wall Street, Journal, if you have to, the Times. Um, and, and, or, or one of my books. I got a great new book on here, uh, a new, a new, a new um, biography. I love, I love history. I got a new biography of George Washington. It's really good, really good. So what am I going to read? You see, when I'm thinking about... The, the eternal as much as the earthly, I'm going to get a little more balanced on the eternal. So maybe instead of reading my George Washington biography, which is very good and there's nothing wrong with, maybe I need to feed my soul a little more with the Bible or a devotional. And I think about that. We've got two choices here. And it's not like none of those things are bad. Well, maybe the, the post, <laughs> borderline. But <laughs> none of those things are bad. 
But it, it's a matter of choices. When I'm thinking eternal, I want, I want something to feed my soul. And I need that. I'll still do the other. But I'm going to get bounced out. I'm going to do more of the, I'm going to do more of the, thinking about the eternal, reading those things that are going to help me. So that, that's just a simple point when I talk about the eternal is more important than the earthly. See, here's the thing. Certainty is a false god. It is an illusion. And at the end of the day, there's only one thing that is certain. There's only one thing. Only one thing. All right? One thing. The presence of Almighty God in your life. That's the only thing that's, that's a sure, sure thing. The presence of Almighty God in your life. And he desires to have a relationship with you. That's amazing to me. When I think about that, I talk about it ad infinitum, ad nauseum. But, but, but when I really think about it, the eternal God is the only constant in this world, the only certainty. And he desires, he loves, he loves Rich so much that he desires to have a relationship with me. Put your name in there. Listen to the words of our Lord. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Isn't that great? Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and burden is light. My burden is light. I love that same few verses in the message goes like this, message paraphrase Bible. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Yeah, I am. I do, I get sick of religion sometimes, you know. That's not a very good thing for a pastor to say. I mean, you know, it's about, it's about Jesus. It's not about religion. I, I really, really have a distaste for organized religion. I'm doing everything I can to keep it organized. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Some of our staff would say, yeah, Rich isn't very organized. Um, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? And again, it's the words of Christ in, in, in the message paraphrase. Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Walk, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Augustine. St. Augustine said, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them, come unto me, all ye that labor. They are heavy laden. That's Jesus. It's only Jesus. The only certainty in life is the eternal God who loves you and desires to have a relationship with you. Let's go back to the blog of my good friend's friend, the mom, the little four-year-old Chase with this very rare form of cancer. And this is pretty heavy. But remember, she said, I have, I have, I have tomorrow door one, clear, a clear scan, a quick sigh of relief, and three months later, I got to do it again. Or door two, uh, a relapse and all the possibilities that that brings in. She talked about how people try to comfort her by telling her the odds are. I said, that doesn't help either. Well, these are her words. The only comfort is in knowing that I am invited to bring my worry to God and then not worry about it anymore because he will guard my heart and my mind. The only comfort 
is knowing that all of our days were counted and known before we ever breathed, and that we were fearfully and wonderfully created, and our very souls cry out with that thought. The only comfort is knowing that all our pain and suffering is but an earth moment, and then we'll stand in the presence of our Savior, understanding the promises and knowing no more pain or sorrow or tears, only closeness to him forever. I know those truths. I believe those truths. But as I stand in front of these two doors, my heart is still heavy. What now? Be still. Wait. Be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Exodus 14, 14. Silence. My make it better, make it stop, never give in heart wants no part of that. Silence is accepting defeat. Silence is acquiescing, isn't it? Being silent is one of the hardest things for me to do, yet I'm called to do it in this moment. And as I obey, not speaking becomes speaking. The quiet becomes loud. We will watch and see what unfolds as we remember how far we've come and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the same grace that covered all waits always ahead of us behind any door. The doors are in place, as they always have been and will be. The right thoughts are known and remembered time and again, and now we wait for what he will show us in his time. We are silent, moment by moment. pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're a God who we can go to and who's there and will listen and will support and will always love us no matter what. But these are some things in life, some of these uncertainties like this one. We just, it's just hard to get our brain around. Some of us here have been through some of this. I pray especially for those, Lord, that you give them a special measure of grace. We pray for this family, Chase and his mom and dad and his other brother, and just that the Spirit of God would be of special comfort to them, and, 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 and we would pray for healing for Chase. I don't know how that's going to end, but you do. And we pray for that as well. For us, as we, as we embrace the, 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 the uncertainties of life, that we don't know what will happen this day, let alone this week, this month, or next year but help us to embrace who you are, the eternal God who loves us and desires to have a relationship with us. We thank you for that. And we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Whew, that's some heavy stuff. Um, hey, listen, if you're, if you're going through something like this or maybe with a loved one, please don't do that alone. We're here. See me or, or, or see Clay or Michael, one of us, but any of us would be happy to help. And if, if we can't help, we can direct you to somebody who can. So just wanna, I just want to say that make sure you understand that, all right? Um, okay, uh, one last thing. Uh, listen, I, I, if I haven't, if, if you've been here, forgive the repetition. I haven't done it in every service. I need to. Uh, I want to thank you all very much on behalf of the church uh, for making last year a great year. Um, financially, giving was up. We're, we're grateful for that. Still not where we need to be, but we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the sacrifice that so many of you made. And uh, it's another year. And uh, so we just would again ask you to keep that in your mind and, and pray and, 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 any, and as to how much and what and if you will give here. We, we always appreciate it. There's ways you can do that. There's an offering box in the back. 
You can do it online. Easy way to do it, stocks and bonds. That's, an easy, that's another easy way to give that really works. See us, we talk to you about that. All that I ask is what we always ask, and we, and we do mean it, that if you do give and when you do give, you do so as the Bible teaches with a cheerful heart because you want to, not out of obligation and not out of guilt. All right, so thank you. Just wanted to make mention of that. Thanks for coming next week. Tell you what, it gets tougher for Joseph. Peace amidst the chaos, and next week, peace in the midst of the storms of life. You will not believe what he's going to go through. All right, we'll see you then. God bless you. Have a great day.